Hello and welcome to Learning, Laughing, and Loving with your co-host Evan Money and yours truly, Scott Jones. This podcast is all you need. If you're looking to learn about the world, do it with a smile and to connect to the deeper mysteries of human life and the kind of connection everyone is looking to make. Money, what's going on? Talk to me. Scott Kent Jones! Another tremendous day. It is a tremendous day. Uh, So what's going on in your world? My world is all about learning, laughing, and loving myself today. Good. How'd you do those things? Ah, yes. So we had a big meeting with another podcaster who will uh, will remain unnamed. And he's talking about doing an event. And I said, you know what? I think the time is now more than ever to do a live event. However, you know, keep it small, 10 people, right? So we talked about this whole live event. We talked about stuff we're going to discuss, and that got into a whole topic. And I shared with him my whole journey of ROF, I think I've shared with you before, which is not ROI, return on investment, but ROF, return on forgiveness. And that led into a whole self-love conversation. And it's just so interesting because we look at all of the world's major challenges or problems, as others like to say. So whether it be mass shooting, whether it be abusive husbands, whether it be sex trafficking, whether it be pornography, all of this stuff, the people that do those things simply don't love themselves. I mean, mass shooters you know, have a self-love issue. People that abuse their wife and children, it's all the crux. Everything comes down to self-love. And it's like, wow, if we could just learn, keyword learn, aka Whitney Houston needed to pay more attention to her lyrics. The greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. So it's not an automatic, it's a learning process. So as we talked about this, my whole shame box came up and going through that again and learning to love all of the broken pieces uh, from my shame box. So it's a it's a joyful journey. And the joy is in the journey, and the journey is the joy. Can't agree more. Yay! So it's 4th of July weekend, and people are antsy, and they want to go out, <laughs> going to do things. Uh, people are... Uh, yeah, it's it's an inter- it's an interesting weekend because this is the weirdest Fourth of July ever. I can guarantee you. Yeah, pandemics are weird. I mean, that, that's I mean, right because we don't all live through them. Like that's interesting. Like we don't like so when you're living through it, you think of Spanish flu or all this stuff. Like you don't. I mean, people have lived through them. Um, you know, in in years past and things like that. But we don't generally think we're going to be living through a pandemic. And then you're living through it, and you're kind of trying to create reality on the fly. <laughs> and it that's a challenging thing, I think, like because people are trying to figure out how to live their lives. And again, people are figuring out. If you look at the job numbers right now, with second month in a row, we've, you know, I, what was it, like 1.5 million new jobs or something? I mean, it was high. Um, people are piecing things back together. So there is, even without the thing solved, people are picking up the pieces. People are figuring out how, how to continue their lives, how to continue business, how to continue education, how to continue, but not without a lot of challenges, complexity, and struggle. So this is this will be a 4th of July. There won't be a lot of parades. There won't be a lot of fireworks. There won't be a lot. I mean, people are like flocking to beaches and other people are concerned by that. And this is a big, weird, wild 
4th of July. Now, it's interesting. The, uh, this is the, you know, normally in LA anyway, I don't know about where you are in Atlanta, but in LA, you know, every 4th of July weekend, no matter what, you know, whether it's on a Wednesday, a Thursday or whatever, um, you know, everybody's clamoring for that day off. And so everybody's trying to get out of town. Right. It's get out of town before the 4th of July. Get out of town. Get out of town. Get out. Now, everybody's like, whoa, I just want to go back to work. <laughs> can, I, can I just go back to work, please? It's like, come on. So, yeah, this is very, very weird. Now, and I'm hearkening back to I remember when my mom was still alive. She was a little girl during World War II and lived in Venice, California. And I'm trying to remember what pandemic was going around. It was either the the measles, not the measles, not the mumps. Mumps. Was it mumps? No, it was there was something. There's some other major, like, oh, I'm trying to remember what it was. And she remembered they would like quarantine people in certain houses. And there was one house where they were quarantined where they had it. And she would literally hold her breath as she ran by because um, her mom scared her so bad. But going back to the Constitution, of course, there's, you know, the constitutional right where we quarantine the sick, we don't quarantine the healthy. So let's all go to the beach. Yay! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I was listening to this um, podcast today called, let me pull it up. I think it's called The Politics Guys. And it's quite good. Um, yeah, The Politics Guys. Um, and they always have like a, a conservative and a liberal on. And the, the conservative and the liberal both agreed because they were talking about how Joe Biden said, if I were president, I mandate masks. And even the Democrat was saying, like, you can't do that. The president constitutionally just didn't have the power to do that. Like, it's our system. And you could you can quibble with the system and say, well, maybe he should have that power, but he doesn't have that. And they were both saying it'd be better, though, if people just did it uh, to care for their neighbor and that kind of thing. Like, it's going to be better for the culture if people just say, I choose to do it. Mm-hmm. Because I see we're in a pr- like that that if you're doing it to avoid a ticket or or if you're doing it uh, because there's this mandate versus you're doing it because you're thinking, look, we've got a problem and I can help solve the problem. Like it's going to be a little inconvenient for a while, but I'll do that. Uh, and I thought it was interesting that they both agreed on that. That it's better for the culture of people. You know, it's it's like it's great. They both said, you know, it's great to eat your vegetables and exercise, but we don't want the government mandating people <laughs> eating their vegetables and exercise. If I was president, I would force everyone right. And that, and that's the other thing, right? Of like where political awareness is, right? Like that's his whole campaign on. Well, I'll, twofold. So one is. Okay, for just Joe Biden to even say that, right? It's just like, well, if I was president, I would do this because most of the constituents will be like, yeah, vote for Joe, right? Even though he can't do that. Um, but I- well, that's what I hate about every debate where people just say, if I become president, I'm going to change the whole yeah. Department of Education. Yeah. I'm going to do this. I'm like, no, you're not because whatever party you're in, there's going to be at least 40 senators from the other party. We have a filibuster rule. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, you're not. And thankfully, Chuck Todd from NBC a couple times, actually for the first time in modern memory, said to the Democrats, what about how will you get that by Mitch McConnell in the Senate? And I thought, wow, somebody's actually yeah. been to their high school <laughs> civics class. Because <laughs> people like run for president like they're running for emperor. Yes. Or yes. when I become yes. elected yes. emperor. Yes. Or yes. Do and everyone's going to get a pony. Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Or like uh, Black Panther. My kids and I just watch that again. I'm in charge now. I'm the king now. <laughs> Here's what we're exactly. gonna do. So it's interesting. My, I, I brought my kids back to. Uh, we started watching Schoolhouse Rock. I don't know if you were around. You were too. Uh, you were alive when it first came out. School but you know, Schoolhouse Rock. Rock. But Schoolhouse Rock. How a bill becomes a. Yes, law. that's what. I'm just a bitch. Yes. On yes, Capitol Hill. Yes, 
that's what every I think every voter before they get are allowed to vote need to watch all Schoolhouse Rock so they can understand. Okay, this is what the president can do. This is what he can't do. This is how it works. But I'll share this with you because you weren't here. But last uh, the last mayoral elector election. Uh, was like, hey, vote for me for mayor. Like, you know, you could have 50 different people. Run. Anybody could just fill in the blank. I'm running for mayor. And 90% of people's like on the ballot, on the little tell us about yourself. What are you for? You know, what's your party all about? This whole thing, right? 90% of people on the ballot in California, all they put on their thing was, well, if you elect me mayor, I'm going to kick Trump out of office. And it was all this anti-Trump. Like, that was what they were standing on. I'm going to get the president. like, what? no, no, you're running for mayor of California. What, what are you going to do about the California economy? It was all about, I'm going to get Trump out. It was, <laughs> and it was on the ballot. It was hilarious. It was like, you've got to be kidding me. But um, If I was running for mayor and... Southern California, I would say, I'll fix every pothole. Now, if you're in the Northeast, you say, I'll fix every pothole and I snow remove <laughs> when it snows. <laughs> like the great thing about a mayor, man, I mean, Mayor Nutter of Philadelphia, he was great. Um, he served two terms. And man, once it snowed, he'd be out there in Parka directing the snow. Yes. It was great because you're like, because I remember when Ed Rendell, who was a former DNC chair, former governor of Pennsylvania, he went out one time during a blizzard and said, if we didn't plow your street last year, we're not yeah. plowing it now. And everybody was so pissed. And so Nutter would go out like he'd th- show himself on camera directing the, the, the plows because people like potholes filled and they like snow removal. <laughs> you don't have to be an ideologue. Just like if you can get rid of snow and fill in potholes. You're a golden mayor. You could be mayor for life. People love you. People will love you. But I want to go back to presidential debate for a second. The whole, you know, how are you going to get that past, you know, Congress and this and that. I love the fact that, you know, again, on the debates and the nonsense, ask his questions, like just the assumption, going back to the King assumption, right? Uh, uh, the whole blatant assumption, like the president is supposed to figure this whole thing out all by himself. Right. Like he has zero advisors. He has zero cabinet. It's all him just sitting with a, a notepad like, OK, how am I going to solve all the foreign policy issues? You know, <laughs> when they ask that question, I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like I'm waiting for the common sense party to form and the candidate to come on there and go, yeah, that'd be a great question for my advisor team. And I'm going to hire the best and we're going to figure this out. But said, well, what I would do, it's like, oh, come on. Right. I mean, because you just can't in the in the course of a day and that's part of the thing right and i guess like part of like what we could learn today is like on any level of complexity you're just gonna have to trust other people and you have to figure out who to trust when to trust them how to trust and so when you run for president and get elected president on one level you're the most powerful person probably in the world on some level or at least in the top tier i mean Mm -hmm. but another level you are so in other people's hands Yeah, because so you have to. Yes, right. Yeah, because you have to pick. Because you can't possibly, mm-hmm. even if you're like a voracious reader or something, and, and the most studious person. And we have we've had presidents like that, and they knew their limits. I mean, they like you know, they they're they're no like you you are so overwhelmed by the sheer amount of data and crises and problems and issues, and you have to learn to pick the people that can you can delegate to, you can learn 
from and with. And at the end of the day, you have to make decisions knowing you're going to blow some of them. <laughs> uh, and, 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 so, and it's all, in, a lot of it is in other people's hands. And, and, and that's the, the challenge, I would guess, of being president, right? And, and this is why also I think when people perform in different ways than they campaigned on, sometimes we assume that's like totally hypocritical. Other times I just think like, you know, like a lot of people critiqued Obama for not curtailing more the Bush Cheney security uh, protocols because you know he kind of ran as a as a peace loving kind of. But the first day you walk in the situation room, the generals knew there, <laughs> and you had you had just been given the nuclear codes, and they're saying, "Well, sir, if we don't do this, there's a risk that." You know, X number of Americans could die. Yep. What if a dirty bomb goes yep. off in, in, yep. in Tulsa or Houston or something? And I'm just thinking, well, I don't know. I don't want to judge anybody because I never walked in that room and had the security, had the nuclear codes handed to me. And all of a sudden, the amount of sheer responsibility yes. and anxiety are dumped on you. Like, man, that must be awful. Yeah, I remember, I, and I, I've been, been watching it for a little bit, and it reminds me of that is not West Wing, but Designated Survivor. I, I'm rewatching oh, the show right yeah, now. Yeah, just, and you see that. He is the common sense he part is, of that. He is. He's absolutely. And this classic, right? I love the line when he said to his wife, I never thought I would have to decide who lives and who dies. Right. I mean, think about that next time we want to criticize whoever the next president is, right? Going back to, let, let's harken back. It, it's coming out today. The family's going to watch it, although I just found out there's going to be some F bombs in it, so I got to beware. But Hamilton's out on Disney Plus, so we're going to watch yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. But yep. the song, right? Who lives, who dies, who tells your story? So, that that resonates with me of just like whenever I'm having a tough day, right? It's like, well, at least I'm not deciding who's living, who's dying, right? Yeah, and it, it's interesting too. Designated survivor is so great because he he works resiliently to be a servant yes. of the common good. Like yeah. he's this interesting guy that um, got there without all the political machinations and stuff. Yeah, he's kind of. I mean, that's the beauty of it. He's trying to function in a system where yeah, 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 kind yeah of, exactly. Yeah, a system it's that awesome. Doesn't work. Yeah, around his mentality. What what uh, what episode are you on? I'm. I, this is the third time I've watched it, oh, wow. and I'm in season two. We're well, in season two already. Okay, so I'm I'm still so, like uh, first seven episodes, but I remember there was a line where it was his chief of staff who he named, you know, Mister Ambitious. He's like, no one comes to to Washington, you know, not to to without ambition. And he was like, I did. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, didn't, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be the president, right? I just wanted to do, you know, my thing over here and I was good. And it's like, crap, now I'm the president. What do I do now? Yeah, it's a great show. And it's a great show because Kiefer Sutherland went from 24, which was Jack Bauer, to this kind of, you know, he's the Superman, like American James Bond, yeah, like yeah. I'll save the world in the day, to this guy that's buried in complexity. <laughs> and like, it's a great, I mean, he's, and he's great in both roles, but like, as he's getting maturing as an actor, it's such a great role. And like, you kind of, you're like, and when you see it, right, don't you want to work for that guy? Like, <laughs> no, I just, man, it it's so hits home with the um i just guess the way they they show and again yeah he's he's to do that i never really watched 24 was never into it but just seeing the, the role reversal but just the the way they do from his life's his life and his day is just crisis to crisis to crisis and it's like sir we have a crisis sir we have a crisis sir we have a crisis and it's just like man, and that's for real i mean that's what yeah. really happens it's like how do you function as a human being and, you know, and I can criticize Trump for his, you know, snide remarks and all his stuff, but that's the way he stays sane. That's how he handles it. Obama used to go play basketball or whatever, but it's this, there's no way to function as a healthy human being going from that crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. You know? Well, you look at all the pictures of people in office 
and they just age exponentially. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Obama was the most severe one I ever saw. Yeah. Like, when you look at him, like... Yeah. It was, he was a kid. It was like, who's this kid running? Yeah. Oh, he's yeah. a good-looking guy. Yeah. guy. And then he's like gray hair. Yeah. And he's like... <laughs> That's what two terms will do. <laughs> so crisis is interesting, right? Because we're all living through crises right now. Like, everybody's got... Well, crisis is relative, but go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, I think... I mean, the the corona stuff which there's kind of like it, it's like it's almost in this no end in sight range we're like oh my gosh we've got all these like increased cases and what do we do and how severe is it and and and, and the thing is again w- with me we've talked about this before which i'm like the known unknowns of the problem we don't know this we don't know that the, the thing changes one day we're told asymptomatic people are not carriers the next day we're told they could be carriers and all this stuff and, you know and we're all living through and then there's been great racial unrest societal like yeah kind of dislocation and frustration and then the tribalism kind of reemerges on steroids where it's almost like well how you view the virus is what your party and all this mm-hmm. stuff and I, I think like how do you but there are people right like who are when they're the jobs numbers are up they're good economic indicators of like a recovery that we thought would be would not be as uh as kind of energetic as this so there are people out there that are rehiring people there are people that are coming up with new business plans there are i mean some of the pastor friends i've talked to who are thinking through what gathering means Mm. in the future and i'm like wow this is you guys are really because they're thinking look old people are going to be nervous because we're probably not going to have a vaccine Mm -hmm. so how do we even as we kind of wade back into something like the new normal let's not leave out the old and the vulnerable and how do we kind of figure out how to like use the zoom and this and that with the gatherings yes. and all these things so i think that it's interesting to me that there are people that in the midst of the crisis are are figuring out ways forward that will probably create new opportunities mm-hmm. new dreams new businesses new churches new converts to faith and life and spirituality that's interesting i just think it's it's a thing where how do you how do you kind of get past the paralyzing anxiety mm, that's a great into word. something into something like the creative imagination mm. Mm. tell me mm. Mm. well i'm i'm hearkening to there's a chinese character because right they write in character and I'm trying to. Oh, it's um, the one that's crisis. Yeah, crisis and opportunity is the same thing. Danger and opportunity. Yeah, like the crisis yeah. is the combination of danger and yeah. opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, that's it. Danger and opportunity is the symbol for crisis. And it's like, isn't that interesting? Because we're a living example, like I said, of that. Of I think as this global pause is happening, right? There's a global fast forward of like, hey, things are ramping up in a different areas of like, oh yeah, we needed this to kind of push people, you know, to get this over here. Or again, every person over 60, right, was forced to embrace Zoom or never talk to somebody, right? Right, right, right. Or and right. there's so many different examples, right, of this this little nudge, right? So it's a pause and a nudge. And it's like, wow. And people are figuring out this is the greatest opportunity, you know, ever. And so I'm excited about that part of it. And then from a totally different standpoint from my sports side, I just got a clip from uh one of my buddies sent me that uh dan schneider the longtime owner of the washington redskins who ever since he took over the team bought the team he was 30 when he took it over he was young he's in his 50s now and since day one he's like i'm never changing the team name 
we're the Washington Redskins. That's the way it is. You know, you know, eat my fist, that kind of thing. And now there's a thing where uh, the younger uh, heir of who's the heir parent now after Fred Smith died, it's one of his sons who runs FedEx. Uh, they, he owns a minority share of the Redskins. And of course, they have the naming rights, FedEx Field. And FedEx has been petitioned by 87 different companies and big time stuff that says, hey, you either pull out of supporting the Redskins or we're just going to stop doing business and all the stuff's coming to head about this renaming the team and becoming more culturally sensitive and da 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 so i'm like wow from a guy that said oh that's why you never say never right i'll never right 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 i'll right, never change right. the name now it's like oh gee i better um and now he put out this gushy thing like yeah perhaps a new nickname might be in order and da 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 but there's there's things this is fast forwarding which i think a lot of people uh, are missing and so again, there is danger and there is incredible opportunity. And not only from church, but entertainment wise, you know, the concept of making a movie now is like, ooh, what does that mean exactly? Right. And what are movie theaters going to look like? What's that experience going to look like? And these different, we're forced to paradigm shift faster because it's like, hey, we have to accept what these new experiences could be. But one paradigm I'm not willing to live without, and that is Disneyland. So I'm counting the days where our family and I can return back to the land of Disney and enjoy that. But it's, uh, again, for sure, danger and opportunity. Yeah, no, I mean, and I think it is, is in, in, to get into a mindset where you're looking more for the opportunity. Well, you're being mindful of the danger. I mean, like, I mean, I think we should be mindful of the dangers and, and careful. And I think people are, yeah, it's interesting. People are starting to wear masks. Like, hey, we could not spread it around and that's good. And we can, we can take responsibility and things like that. And I don't want to minimize the danger at the same time. The danger can become all controlling. Mm hmm exhaustive uh -huh. and it can take up every part of your gray matter yeah. right like and, and yet the opportunities the irony is also to the opportunities could mitigate the danger there are people that are think doing research and thinking creatively and things like this it's it's we're going to get through this not by anxiety prone <laughs> kind of like deer in the headlights posture in front of the danger yeah. right we're going to get through it with kind of leaning in despite how hard it is with everything changing and everything underfoot and everybody feeling lonely and everything, by leaning into the opportunity and thinking well what how can i learn how to do things in different ways and what and what things probably again like you're saying what things probably were ready to be yes uh changed i mean how many seniors were not getting visited not flying to see anybody and getting on zoom re-energized yes so yes i had more connection with some people, some seniors, yeah. than before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. No, you're saying it's the catalyst, right? This catalyst to finally to to make that actual shift and that change. Absolutely. Well said, Scott Joe. So, what are we going to change, man? We should just uh, we should do. What are we going to? You have a big idea you want to share with anybody? Well, going back to the common sense party, the only thing that I haven't seen change is politics. Yeah, <laughs> it's like. How could we shift from, again, going back to designated survivor, right? From this, you know, I still remember, I, yeah, I'm early on the season, but just these little one-liners like, well, sir, the protocol is they come to you, right? Like, the remember the SEAL team when they went in? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. yeah. He's, like, he's like, no, I'm asking them to risk their lives. I'm going to go to them. Yeah. Right? Like, how, how can we use this as a catalyst to shift from, I just started... Um, 
uh, Simon Sinek's book of, you know, infinite versus finite. I don't know what the actual title is, but we've been, so he talked about, you know, in the finite, finite work short term, right? Classic in the corporate world. I'll put up with the toxic employee because he's producing, right? But knowing that ultimately long-term, he's going to do more harm for the company than the short-term gains. Like, oh, he's selling a bunch of stuff. He's doing this and this and this. And we've been playing this short-term game with politics forever. Uh, short-term, short-term, short-term. The jading, the cynicism. Oh, yeah, you know, politicians. Blah, 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 blah. And anytime someone wants to insult any politician, I'm like, dude, that's us. You know, going back to the event you invited me to, the question, what's the difference, you know, between them and us? And so for a long time, oh, the Hill, the senators, the, oh, it's them and us. It's like, there is no them and us. It's just us. And so understanding that these politicians are a perfect reflection of us. And it's like, wait a minute, let's, what if we played the long game in the political yeah. world and started, and there are companies that have proven, right? Like, uh, I bought a pair of shoes and just the the long game journey, they have Allbirds as the company mm. and they're big on recycled materials and all stuff, but just the marketing so quirky and fun and inclusive. I remember I got the email when I placed the order. They're like, hey, you're in the flock now. And hey, <laughs> yeah, I'm in the flock. I'm like, yeah, I'm in the flock, man. Yeah, I couldn't wait to get my shoes, right? So people are discovering that, hey, you can create, and Zappos was the first one. Hey, we built a billion dollar brand on actually taking care of the customer and letting people take advantage of. Let, let me share the story. You love this. So, there was a, a woman who was like ripping Zappos off for thousands of dollars. She would order shoes, say I never got them, say I don't like them, never return them, or wear them to an event, show a picture of her at the event on social media, and then return the shoes. And the employees were like, man, what, this lady's just taking us advantage like crazy. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. And, and the owner was like, this is the greatest uh you know, this is the greatest advertisement for us ever because yeah. people are just like, wow, they'll put up with that. They must. And so, you know, on all the other, you know, 99.9 are like, I don't want to be like that lady here. Let me return the shoe that I didn't like. And so they built this brand off that. And there's these companies, again, that are building, you know, making profits off of sustainability long term. Right. Uh, Patagonia, another one, billion dollar brand based off sustainability. I remember they, they had an ad campaign like four or five years ago that said, don't buy one of our jackets. Right. You don't need it. Right. If you already have, they said, if you already have one, you don't need to buy another one. Right. So this, and again, you can create billion dollar brands based on that. So if it, it works in business and it's true, it works in everything else. It's like, Hey, how do we build that in the political system where we're done we with the ask. cynicism and we're done with that? So that's what I want to change. Scott Chan Jones, you tell me how let's work it out. Freakonomics did this episode on this, the two party system. And they said, usually what happens when the two party, the, when the two market thing doesn't work, like Coke and Pepsi, when people are dissatisfied, you get RC Cola moves uh -huh. in or something. Like basically, when you have a monopoly of two kind of options, you lots of people, the market tends to kind of see it and really capitalize on. It. And the whole like episode was about why this doesn't work with pol American politics because we have a two party system that nobody feels served by. Mm -hmm. by mm -hmm. Like the, absolutely. It, it, it feels like even if you're a partisan, you, you think like, wow, I mean, we're not doing that great. Like, but that's the challenge. Like, and some of it is the two parties have a really good grip on like, if you want to run as a third party, like most states have these really arduous rules yeah. to get into the election because the party's like, even if they disagree on everything, they agree on this one thing. We <laughs> yeah, should be the only two yeah, parties. Yeah, we should be the only two, yep. <laughs> so I think that is, I mean, that's a kind of, I mean, the, the reform stuff, and that's the great thing about designating survivor. He's an independent. All these independents get elected. And, and if you have people that are independent, they're really, but that's the most dangerous thing to the system because they're not owned. Yes. 
and they yes. could sit and listen to the arguments and say, well, I don't know. I'm going to go with this thing and then this day and this thing, mm-hmm. you know, the next mm-hmm. day. And, and I think that like, there's so much gravitational pull to the status quo uh, because of special interests and mm-hmm. the party establishment. Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult thing where like, and I think also like Americans are by and large frustrated, but not at a place where most people are going to act. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like it, where, where it's kind of like, okay, I don't like it. Maybe I'll still vote. Yeah. But there's kind of, so the apathy that the system uh, creates yes. yeah. actually f- helps the system. Yes. Like, oh, yes. You want, yes. you want people like yeah. that. Of course. Of course. Because you can control them. Right. Here, yeah. Here's one for you. I just read, I just finished Dune of all books and, you know, classic epic sci-fi from the late 60s. And this, I mean, the book is, is you could read it today. You would never know it was written way back then. But the way he mixed political ideas, different religion, but there's this one quote that was like, oh my gosh, he's absolutely right. He says, when you get political and religion on the same page and aligned, it's an unstoppable force. Yeah. And, yeah. and I was like, well, when did that last happen? And I thought of Gandhi in India. You've got religion. Right. Or, the, or, the, or the civil rights movement. Yeah. King. Yeah. You've got religion and politics fully aligned. That is a unstoppable force. And I think the two-party system is how do we keep it disaligned forever so we can stay in power? Absolutely. No, it's it's uh, no, I think it's absolutely right and I think it's it's a it's a frustrating everything especially as we look at like the pandemic results and you have countries that are uh, I have a friend that's Jordanian. They had 500 cases and 80 deaths. And or no, eight deaths or something. I mean, it was it was it was very small. Like, and they contact traced this one guy. He was this kind of crazy truck driver who was hugging everybody and all this stuff. He was spreading around. But they don't have the resources we have, right? Like, they don't have like. I mean, the fact that like we can't as the wealthiest nation in the world with the best research institutions, the best scientists, the best hospitals that we can't just get together and figure out. Okay, look, this is a problem. It's a big problem. Uh, it's kind of crippling society. We've got to move forward. How do we do it? And the, and and get the best thinkers, the best articulators, the best rhetoricians, the best sales p- pitch people, the best kind of um, bean counters and things like this to, to just get kind of like we have all those resources. We do. It's, and a little country like Jordan who has none of these resources, and they're like, oh yeah, five hundred cases. No, I think I think it really is the cry. The really it really comes down to the the cry for leadership. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, and I hearken back. I'm I'm doing working on a conference where we're realizing that it originally started with, hey, we we want to help speakers, you know, communicate better. And then it was like, well, okay, well, what if we did one just for podcasters? Now realizing, especially with Zoom and all this other stuff, it's really about everyone realizes there's a communication, there's a gigantic gap of like. Hey, it's not about, oh, I got to learn to code. I got to do this. I got to do this. If you want to succeed going forward, it's communication. You got to know how to communicate and communicate clearly. And I remember my documentary, Words of Art, I did a whole segment on Martin Luther King. And the expert I interviewed said this, and it's always stuck with me, Scott Ken Jones. He said, no one before or since has been able to speak with such moral clarity as Dr. Martin Luther King. And I'm like, he's right. And brought the whole country together. Yeah. When was the last time? Here's, here's, here's what's awesome. When was the last time anyone, any party, independent, Democrat, Republican, whatever, anyone spoke with clarity, right? All of it is just rhetoric and BS and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, I think, I think now more than ever, this country is, is 
the new, waiting for that new leader to emerge who can speak with clarity, absolute clarity. And that's what everyone's lacking. So it's this, you know, what, again, with all the racial stuff and all that stuff, the biggest issue with that is there's no leading party. And we just jumped on the bad wing of this one party that doesn't even really have any leadership. And it's like, again, this leadership, talk about a crisis, right? Leadership crisis and leadership opportunity right here, right now for people to step up and absolute speaking with that clarity, I think is, is, is for such a time as this. Yeah. And King also was a maverick in his day. I mean, he's revered as a kind of civil saint today. Yeah, but today, in, yeah. In his, in his day, he was kind of maverick, but oh, like yeah. that clarity served him well. And when he was able to just speak with such clarity that people couldn't deny the force of the message, yes. right? Like it, 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 it was, it, it, and he, and he also, he played on our better angels. He didn't do yes. call out culture. Yes. He didn't. He kind of said, "Look, the problem is not that this country is the worst place in the world. The problem is our founders had these great visionary ideals, and we're not living up to yeah, them." Yeah. And he kind of called Americans, yeah, forward, to yeah, like, to, to to live into the 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 kind of power of our ideals. And it's kind of it's interesting because I always think the opposite. I was talking with a guy today, pastor, uh, a kind of new friend, and we were saying, you know, the opposite of love is control. And so control sort of says it's manipulative and shaming. and But what King was able to invite people to is a vision of love. And wow, what if you could, again, you were talking earlier about loving yourself. What if you loved yourself enough and loved the country enough to make it the country for everybody? Mm. Not just a few. Or yeah, not that's just, just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's. So there we go. Mm, mm. We need a love communication revolution. Yes. Yes, yes, and yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's the other thing. You know, in order for things to change, we have to change. In order for things to improve, we have to improve. In order for things to get better, we have to get better. So henceforth, the beginning of me getting better and loving myself more so I can communicate clearly yeah. and loving myself enough to not not me, not us and them, but us, right? Really looking at it as an us, especially the people I disagree with, right? Like, that's an us. Or the people that are flipping me off on the highway. That's <laughs> It's not a them, it's an us. And yeah, well said, Scott Kent Jones. I second the motion. And I continue one day at a time. But you tell me, what are you working on? Because it starts with starts with us. So what are you working on to be a better American? Uh, I'm trying to be less judgmental, mm. uh, more open-minded. I'm trying to look at lots of things, generalize less, talk to a widespread of people, and wear a mask, which annoys me. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm wearing a mask when I go out, and I, it annoys me. <sighs> Because it's hot, uh, and I don't like the way my breath feels, <laughs> and it feels goofy and stupid. Uh, I just feel stupid in it. I, like, I agree. I, like it. I agree. It looks like a goof. Uh, but with these things, I mean, I think um, I'm trying to acknowledge where I can slow down the debate. Like, mm -hmm. oh, no, no, no. Let's try to figure out, like, maybe we have more in common than we think. Yeah. You know, maybe we're framing these things. If we just stopped and reframed the question, maybe we could agree on more and then yeah. kind of throw ourselves into more the opportunity thing than the danger thing. Yes. 
Uh, but, but it takes some time and it takes, and you got to also find people you can talk with like that. Like you, you, you have to pick part of the things that why, why I invited you to the base camp kind of group is they're a group of people that are kind of committed to listening and asking questions. And I think that's where a lot of this stuff is going to come, right? People that are uh, going to make breakthroughs in the midst of the crisis are, are the people that are listening to the culture. They're wide eyed. They're not shouting. They're yes. like, Oh my gosh, I see these needs. Yes. Now I see this opportunity open up. I see that it's like a running back. I see this, um, the whole open yes. up. I can run yes. the daylight. Like, yes. And you don't get that perspective if you're shouting all the time, <laughs> if you're pushing your ideology all the time, right? You kind of, to see these things, kind of got to breathe a little bit. Mm. You got to look around. You got to listen. You got to, you got to describe. You got to, and I think, by the way, I think what I was thinking of when you were talking, I was thinking tomorrow morning, I'm going to just go for a walk early in the morning and mm. just sit and look at nature and just think and try to scribble down some ideas, whatever comes to mind. Like mm. how can I move the ball forward for me and my fellow human beings? Um, and maybe it's just me paying attention to where my brain is flowing. Cause I don't tend to take a lot of notes on my own thoughts. Mm. And I think I should do that a little more. And so mm. I'm going to try to do that. Mm. Scott Kent Jones, the cry to the American people. I like it. I like it. I like it. Well, I look forward to next show and you can report on taking report those it. notes on what you're thinking. Look forward and to money. that. And money, people cannot see us right now, but this is the first time you did not look like the guy from like a spy show, Man from Uncle or something, where you're all black. Like I can see your whole face and you're like. Well, because I, I, I have the big light when I do my Zoom stuff and then I put it away. And then when we talk, I'm like, well, it's not going to be videos. I need to drag the big light out again. So yeah, yeah. I, I pulled the laptop and I'm sitting by the, the bright window. Uh, you look so. great. You look fantastic. Yay! All right, my friend. Thanks for doing the show. And we will talk next week. Always a pleasure, Scott Ken Jones. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Learning, Laughing, and Loving with Evan Money and Scott Jones. If you like what you've heard here, please do something for us. Go to iTunes and write a review. Give us a rating. Tell people. Share it on social media. If you found something you love here, share the love and goodness with the world. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well. <laughs>